0: Well done. What a privilege it is to welcome you. My name is Chad, and uh, my wife, about uh, 95% of Sundays, is in ministry with kids. Everyone say hi, Haley. Hi. And uh, we have four beautiful kids Mackenzie, Caleb, Benji, Ethan. I think that's all of them. Uh, 11975. And it's an amazing honor to pastor. What a beautiful church. And welcome to those who join online. I was back on the computer a second ago. I know there's a few of you joining us, and we love you. Wherever you're at, scattered or whatever circumstance, we pray that the word would burn in your hearts like it burns in our hearts in this room. Um, and again, as, as uh, Dean perfectly put it, this week uh, really is the f- first full week of like our fall vision and programming, which is we have five different altars, four different altars, worship with the word and prayer. Every other week we have five. And so come and build your prayer muscles. There's no better way to learn how to pray than by praying with others. Our first altar is at 7 a.m. Monday in this room. So someone be here with me, lifting, the, lifting praise and seeking Jesus on behalf of our brothers and sisters as we begin a new week. And then you can find all the other times of the altar. And also, like Dean said, uh, community group, uh, there, there's one for you. So scan the QR code. Men, this is a special shout out. Sorry, women. Uh, my wife and others are working on uh, additional women things like Nanette already leads on Thursday. But men, every Tuesday at 6 a.m., yes, God is awake then. He gets up. Actually, he never sleeps. Psalm 121, <clears throat> he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who watches over Israel watch over you. Uh, 6 a.m., it was amazing this last, this last week we kicked off at 6 a.m. We're, we're going to go through the life of David. And after we study a bit, then we're going to go uh, vertical. We're going to pray. All that we're studying, all that we're learning, we're going to turn it into fuel for prayer. It was awesome, huh, Dylan? It was a great time. Those of you, there were five of us, and I'd love to see every one of our dudes come at least once a month, every other week. I know it's early, but Jesus is worthy and worth it. If you agree, say amen. If you don't come, that doesn't mean you don't think Jesus is worthy and worth it, but for the record, uh, I'm really, really excited about uh, this fall season, and uh, so... We're trying to make it hard for you to not want to get connected. We can't do everything, but what we can do, we want to do with a full heart and make sure you know about it. Um, and so, again, check the email, check website. All of it is pretty well up to date. Today I'm really excited. We are going to just unpack why we're doing what we're doing this fall, but it's going to be all about Jesus. So you're going to love it. Even if Radiant's not your home or you're checking it out, this will stir your heart and affection. Amen. Because at our our church, we're not trying to be – well, we do want to be smart and wise, and, and, but not trying to be clever, clever or catchy. We're just trying to be faithful. Do you agree with that? We want to be faithful. If we're faithful to what God has called us to do, how many believe we can trust him with the results, we can trust him with the fruit, we can trust him with the rest? And so this Sunday, as the fall season just kind of kicks off, I wanted to be um, just, you know, forthwith of what we're doing, why we're doing, why are we doing altars? Why all these prayer meetings? Why do we do community groups? How do we care about this stuff? So hopefully, by the end of the talk, you'll get um, some of the big answers uh, to some of those questions. So, uh, with with when there's no prophetic vision, the infamous Proverbs, Proverb twenty nine eighteen, the people cast off restraints. So when we don't know what we're aiming at, we hit nothing. Amen. I will agree. Amen. We don't know where we're going, where we're heading. Now I can't account for all that's coming in the future, but as a, as a shepherd under the Good Shepherd Jesus. There are some things he's calling us into in this fall that are going to form us and then fuel us and enable us to be the people that he's calling us to be and become. Um, And so here it is. Uh, I have 15 versions of these. This is the newest one. That was supposed to be funny, but those of you who've been around me long enough, there are literally 15 versions, but I, I just, this is the version today. The funny thing is, if you look at all my notes for 15 years, they're all saying the same thing, just in a slightly different way. Did you know, you don't really, my dad and I have this joke, my dad, Dan, he says, we really have one message and you add one minute to that message the rest of your life. It's just, you know what I'm saying? We have the message. So what are the, what are the three or four things? And by the way, if you're like, this looks oddly familiar. Remember all the studying of the Moravians we've been doing, those who've been running? So this is not like new to radiant. This is been a pretty good play that the church has ran since Jesus said, I will build it. Amen? Yeah. Uh, and so, number one, the first person that church is for is Jesus. Did you know that? Yeah. Two knew it over here. But the first, the first person we actually want to please when we gather is Jesus. Church is for him. The gathering is unto him. It's for him. It's to him. And so our, our all-consuming passion as the people of God at Radiant, is we want to provide a dwelling place for the presence of Jesus. That Jesus, when he sees us, it says in uh, uh, Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord are just ranging throughout all the earth to just strengthen those whose hearts are fully given over to him. We want to be a church and we want to be a people that when the eyes are gazing of the Lord, he's like, boom, those are my people. I want to dwell among them. Now, we understand about the omnipresence, that Psalm 139 reality, that God's presence is everywhere. We call that omnipresence. But there's a difference between omnipresence and manifest presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's generally true, theologically true, God is everywhere. But there are times and spaces and places and among people that he shows up in power in a significant way. That's what we call the manifest presence of God. So we don't want to be people who just give lip service to, oh yeah, we love the presence. No, we want to bend and build our lives around becoming a magnet that says, Lord, amongst all the things we could go after in this life, we want your presence. It's principally the pursuit of our life, the dwelling place for the presence of God. This is why we have the altar, worship with the word and prayer. It's our little tiny offerings in a corporate way and in an individual personal way to say, God, you, A.W. tells her. You come where you are wanted, and we want you here. How many think we cannot settle for omni? We need the manifest presence of God. In the days in which we live, we need him to be here, the manifest presence. So out of this desire to provide a dwelling for him, we want to disciple each other in community. Discipleship is just that long life process of being formed in the image of Jesus. That's it your goal for your life is to grow and to become just like Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, your life mission is to grow and to become just like Jesus. Paul, Paul can say, in Galatians 4.19, Paul can just come right out and tell us, I am laboring like a woman about to give birth so that the churches I plant, Christ is formed in them. He could singularize his whole point as an apostle, as a church planter, as a father in the faith, I want Jesus to be formed in every one of my sons and spiritual sons and daughters. There's not another better noble goal that you and I would grow in the fullness and the wisdom and the stature, the character, the conduct, the purity, the power, and attitude and action and all the stuff. We want to grow like Jesus. How many get there overnight? We need community. We need one another. 49, I think I'm quoting that right, 49 one another passages. Love one another, serve one another, humble another. The one-anothering is God's strategy to grow us up into the one who poured out His life for others, Amen. The serving each other and discipling community—that's how we actually grow. Right? We need one another for this maturation process. Number three, we believe as the dwell, as the presence comes, as we're being formed into the image, as we are discipling and dis- being discipled that there is going to be as God is going to release discernment so that we can discover and develop the call and the gifts and the grace that God has put on his body. Did you know every person in this room has been made by design for a purpose? Every person in this room, we're gonna get there, there's passages coming that undergird all of this. Every person has been given a gift or gifts to steward, to cultivate, and to grow in. They're not for you, they're for others. That's some of the weird teaching of like the spiritual gifts. It's like, I have the spirit. No, the only reason you have gifts is for for God's glory and for the good of others. It's not, look how gifted I am. The gifts are, they're given for the sake of others. Amen. And so we want to be a church this fall and every season where people who come and worship the dwelling presence, they're being discipled, that there is a, there's a, there's a joy in the house because we're discovering and then we're developing the gifts and the graces that God has given us. How many would say, just by nodding at me, I won't make you raise hands, you are aware of those gifts and grace that God's given you? Got some heads raised. How many would say, I wanna grow in greater awareness of how he's made me so I can serve his body and his kingdom purpose in the world? All of us want to grow, obviously. So dwelling, discipleship, discovery and development, and then deployed for the ministry and mission of Jesus like we said, one of the the one-liners of that potent group of the 1700s, the Moravians, every heart that has Christ in it is a missionary. Every heart that doesn't have Christ in it is the mission field. So we wanna be a people that are incessant to say, all that he does in and among, he wants to do through. Say it with me, in and among, and then through. So we, listen, the goal is not Sunday attendance. We do want you to gather on Sunday, scatter on mission and community, serve, give. We want to do those things, but the whole point of this is to be deployed for ministry and mission out there in the everyday stuff of life. Is that clear? Now, leaders say that, I like big crowds, I want to have a big beautiful successful church, but in it, like what I will be judged for as a shepherd is how well did you equip your people and deploy them to serve my kingdom purpose in the world? And that is terrifying. Because in many ways, it's easier to, g- well, not for me, really. It's easier to gain a crowd and wow them with intellect, talent, ability, beauty, et cetera. And that's cool, praise God for crowds. But the, 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 the truth of it is I exist, not so that you admire my gifts, I exist to help you cultivate and discern the grace on your life and deploy you to go serve Jesus in your everyday stuff of life. That's real success, the Monday through Saturday. Sunday is that, like, just act of, we gather around Jesus. This is what we do as the people of God. We scatter in community groups. We're, We're willing to adopt one hour a week to come and build a corporate altar so that Jesus sees us as those who say, we want you here. But the, the goal is that you and I, as we're being formed and molded on this journey of discipleship, is that our increasing trigger response is when pressure comes, when adversity, difficulty, slander, what comes out of us is not more of the same that the world gives, but it's Jesus. It's his character. It's, what, it's his word, it's his ways. And so at the end of the day, we want, we want to be a church that deploys people for ministry and mission. What is my ministry and mission? Well. Think of it like this, family, friendships, relational networks, workplace, world. You see that, those concentric circles. This is your ministry and mission. You are around the people you are around for a reason. All, If you agree, say amen. The ones that you see, then you're nine to five. This is your ministry and mission. This is what we're being deployed, we're being equipped the presence of God formed, discipleship, discovery, discerning my gifts, like how it works, how, how I fit in the body and how I fit in the world for his sake. And then we're being deployed. And then we cheer each other on to hit the mark of success by obeying the next thing he says in real time and real places among real people. How's that? Does this feel like a good play? I'm, I mean, I'm there's a Nothing's new if you've been around us, but just as we walk into the fall, we want to strategically for each one of these give ourselves to these becoming real in our lives and through our lives so so let's individualize it so that was the corporate, but like you are the dwelling place of God, right ephesians chapter two nineteen through twenty two first corinthians three sixteen uh 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, there's a bunch of references, but the reality is you are the dwelling, my favorite, John 14, 23. You are the home of father and son if you love and obey Jesus. Can you imagine that? Your your heart is the home of God. So you are the temple, you're the house, you are the prime real estate that God was so invested in purchasing it cost him the blood of his son so that your life could be his home. How many are happy that you're the dwelling place of God? You are a disciple. You're a student. When Jesus walked by the shore of Galilee, he's walking by our everyday life, and he offers us the same three things that he offered the early disciples in the first century. Follow me, Matthew 4, right, 17 through 22. I'll send you to fish for people, and you'll do this, Mark chapter 3, as a new kingdom family. You've heard that if you've ever been around us for six years. That's what our family, that's my family motto, the Bohai family. What do we exist? We follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. And Ethan always says, as a dinosaur family. He's been saying it since he was two. We don't know why, but we just go with it. (laughs) We're all disciples. We're lifelong learners. We're students of King Jesus. Jesus is the curriculum, the one we're studying, and he oddly is also the teacher. Amen and his life and lifestyle, and there's tests every day. Will I live as Christ or will I live as Chad? So you get it, like we're students, we're lifelong learners who are growing in ever-increasing lightness. You have gifts and grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, even you, you've got gifts in there. And then listen to this, you, you can actually develop. How many have ever felt stagnant? We stopped advancing, I've, all the time. But you can develop, you can grow in competency, what God's put in me, clarity, oh, how it fits, and then courage to actually use it. You see that? And then you are being deployed with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate with actions and declare with words the good news of King Jesus. Give me a, a, a sort of nod. Are we good? We're tracking. So a dwelling, a disciple, discovery, development, and being deployed for God's kingdom purposes. Our first priority is to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It says in John 4, through 24, that the Father is seeking worshipers. Say it with me. The Father is seeking worshipers. What is the God who is, Psalm 24, the ruler and the owner and the creator of all things, what does he need? Answer, nothing. He's so totally sufficient, but what does he want? Worship. What does he desire and command? Worship. Why? Because egotistical, self-absorbed? No, because he knows you will become what you worship. And he is the only one, if worshiped in spirit and truth, that actually leads to flourishing life. Worship anything else, you'll die. A long, slow, windy death towards that false idol, that caricature, the gift instead of the giver. Are you tracking with me? So the first priority as our, our church, our first priority is worship. Hello, dwelling place. We worship you. How do I worship in spirit and truth? So it's, it's, it's a reality that's only enabled and initiated by God, and it's on God's terms. That's the spirit and truth. So I don't worship any old way I want. I worship according to the scriptures as revealed in Jesus and animated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is good, we're doing good. Dwelling place, I love it, this is it. Listen, and as the days increasingly squeeze us, the thing we have only and always had to offer. This is all the way back to Moses in Exodus 32 and three. God promises them the promised land. He just says, but you're so darn rebellious. I'm not going with you personally, but I'll provide the way. And you can inherit the land with all the, you know, the milk and honey. And Moses is like, that's a cruddy deal. Why would we want all the blessings? But if your presence is in our midst, we have nothing that delineates us from any other people group or nation on the earth. In other words, Moses knew the greatest thing the people of God had going for them was the presence of God. Are you tracking with me? It's not anything else. It's the presence of God. This is the sauce. This is what makes us, us. It's not a theory. It's not a code of doctrines or truths. It does include doctrines and creeds and theology. But at the you cut Christianity open, the beauty of it is the one who died for us reigns and rules currently, and he dwells among us by his Holy Spirit. This is what makes it awesome, the personal empowering presence of God. So the first priority, we do this by personal devotion to corporate altars. Shout out for those. Uh, I, I hate asking for hands because I'm not trying to shame people, but I did make a Bible reading plan in September. I'll make another one that launches this next week if you haven't been able to get in. So there's ways we're trying to grow in this as individuals and as a community. Bible reading, journal, devotional times. And then again, what we call the altar. It's the best way to learn to do it is by seeing how others commune and connect with Jesus. It's the best way to learn, imitation. So our first priority is dwelling place. I already quoted this, but now you can see it. Let's read it on the screen actually together. One, two, three, go. In him, the whole building, stop. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says you are God's building. Okay, so that's us, the whole building. Okay, go. Is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what if every, every time you gather with other believers in a Sunday setting, in a communal group setting, in a prayer meeting setting, in a lunch break, whatever setting, picture yourself as a stone and your brother or sister as a stone. And every time we gather there's a potential, there's an opportunity for the, the, the random individualized stones, if we'll all agree and cooperate with the grace of God, we'll be built together, everyone say together, that's the key phrase there twice, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, what, what, what is your hope when you come to church? Expectations. So this last week, I gotta admit, my altar muscles were a little flabby. Five altars, took it out of me. I'm not bragging. I'm a man of devotion. I get up early. I'm not, this is just testifying, but like sitting in a corporate context with other believers for an hour, you got to learn how to do that stuff. Okay. So I was a little flabby, but by the fifth one, our last one was Wednesday night, our six o'clock, our six, we did six, it's six, 6 p.m. now. By the last one, I was like, okay, there is someone on the other end of the line of your praying and your praising. Pastor Chad, but don't you know that theologically? Like, it's not just a religious activity. There's like an actual engagement. I know, I'm growing too, just like you. But by the last one of the week, Dylan was there all three on Wednesday. He got a special golden star (laughs) because he's amazing. He actually is an amazing man of God. By the last one, I was like, we're hosting God's presence here. Duh. There's someone in the room with us. This, this earlier this week, I know this is so cheesy. I'm cheesy. I don't care. I'm a dad. Goes with the territory. Dad jokes. Heard of them? I was in my car just talking to the Lord, and I just pretended, because the kingdom belongs to children, that Jesus was sitting right next to me. I turned to my chair. I said, Jesus, it's really great to have you in the car today. Guys, we host him, he's dwelling in our midst. How many wanna live in a greater awareness that we're hosting God? He is the principal guest. God, if watching that grieves you, I'm not into it. If doing, it's not not even like a list of do's and don'ts, it's like what I get versus what I give up, it's like a 100 to one, I should say, it's a million to one who we get. We're being built together. Did you know when you came here this morning, it wasn't I'm going to just attend. It's I'm a living stone in the house of God. I want to lay myself before Jesus well so that others in the room can experience him just like me. That when we're hosting him, when we're worshiping, it's an environment that draws him, that he desires to come in Psalm 22 to set up his throne right in the midst of his worshiping people. We got some head nods. Look at King David. This is what we studied on uh, the men's, Not even gonna get there. So David settled in his palace, 2 Samuel 7, and the Lord gave him rest from all of his enemies, and he said to the prophet Nathan, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. David's conquered giants, he's destroyed thousands, he's he's the king of Israel. He was anointed, he had to wait like 13 to 17 years to actually become the king he was anointed to become because Saul. everyone say, because Saul. (laughs) And David, unlike any other judge, all the judges of Israel, all the prophets of Israel, no one had it in their head to build God a permanent house. Where did David get the idea? God never complained really about having to live in like a mobile tent. But David's like, I'm going to build him a house, a dwelling place. Then he says later, it says of David in Psalm 132, 4 and 5, I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. You know, the only person in the Bible that's ever called a man after God's own heart is this man, David in Acts 13. Of all the things he could get or want or possess, I want a permanent dwelling for Yahweh right next to my palace. Infinitely more. In the new covenant where the veil has been torn and every single son and daughter has access into the very presence of god we want to say god let us become your dwelling not this not that we could be about a thousand things but principally we're about your presence coming in greater measure friends can i just tell you there is a greater measure shake yourself from your slumber i'm it's not hype it's not personality driven there is more to the presence of God that you and I are yet to experience. If you agree, can you say amen? The weighty presence. I've been, I've been following the Lord since I was 16, almost 24 years. I'm just telling you, it has nothing to do with living on a constant high because life is tough. There's adversity, opposition, setback. There's seasons. I get all that stuff. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, as your brother, as your friend, co-labor in the gospel, there is more to the presence of God. He wants to come in a greater reality so that when he's here, the testimony, if God would bring unbelievers and seekers is he is in your midst and I've got to have what you have. Come on, who wants the presence of God to be our primary evangelistic strategy? That doesn't mean we don't have to open our mouths or do good deeds or show and share the gospel because we have to do all of those things because that's what Jesus does. But at the end of the day, it's the power and presence of God that we need. And the irrevocable kingdom dynamic is he comes where he is wanted. How do we know if we want him? It'll probably impact our time, treasure, talent, and schedules. It'll probably, it, I'm just saying, that we're so afraid of works righteousness, and we all just sit impotent, powerless, and bored with our faith, but the grace of God doesn't mean we have to earn something, but the grace of God will energize the pursuit if we want him. How many want more? of God, you, guess what? Here's what's neat about God, you can have more. He's got a lot, like this whole ocean, that's a drop of all that's available to us through the Son, Jesus, by the Spirit, that the Father, who's the most generous being on the planet, he loved the world so much he gave his treasure, his Son. And guess what? I love Romans 8, 31 through 4. If he didn't just give us him, how will he not also, along with him, I love that Paul puts that, along with Jesus, how will he not also graciously give us all things, whatever we need to live as a full son or daughter with a full heart in his kingdom? Dwelling place. Everyone say dwelling place. That, that probably should be a whole 20-part series. Why, why is dwelling so important? Well, from Genesis, he walked with them. In the cool of the day, Genesis 3, after they sinned, he let Moses build a, a mobile tabernacle. After the tabernacle, there was the temple. After the temple, there was the incarnate word, the word made flesh, Jesus. After the word made flesh, Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, there was Pentecost. When God's presence went, went global and mobile, the people became the temple. And at the end of the age, at the very end of your book called Revelation, The dwelling of the one of the last sentences of the Bible is the dwelling place of God and man are now forever together. And in the new Jerusalem, there's no need for a temple because the lamb will be its light and its life. Dwelling, 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 dwelling. The whole story of the Bible is God's heart. I want to dwell among a people. Who wants me? I'm dead serious. That's the Bible story. I want to dwell. Who wants me to dwell with him? Answer. Radiant Central Coast does. The Church of the Central Coast does. Come on, someone say amen. We want to become your dwelling place. The first one, sure, I said this already. It's for Jesus. This is like, I love this verse so much. We're only going to get through dwelling place today. It's okay. I don't care. Are we tracking? I'm going to stop for 10 seconds. Just let it soak in. Do I view myself as a dwelling place for God? Ask yourself that on the inside right now. Do I, am I, do I actually live like I'm his house, his home, his dwelling, his temple? When I get together with other believers, am I actually aware that if I'll, if I'll love them like Christ is loved, them, it creates an avenue, a space, and a place for God to rest on us? Guys, if God is among us, what is, what is hard If if Jesus is here, the impossible with man becomes the possible with God because God is with us. Do we get that? Why his presence is necessary? We need him to do what we can't do. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also say you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. And You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. When we gather, every time we gather, we're being built together and built upon Jesus, the cornerstone, and we become a spiritual house as the people of God. Why are you laboring on this so long? Because I want to raise your bar of anticipation, expectation. When you even come on a Sunday, I'm going as a living stone. I'm going to be built on Jesus and the spirit's going to come. How many had that mindset when you walked in? No shame. No shame. Y'all were late. The whole room was empty by like 9.33. I'm like, I hope people come to church today. Yes, I just did that. I just said that. Come early. Come early. It won't hurt you. I'm dead serious. We might even be able to pray together and get the fire burning. I, I, I'm actually saying this so that it's not heavy. This is the joy of the Lord. Come early. Church, come early. Be here at 9.15. Be here at 9.10. Come up the front. We'll just begin to cry out for God to come. Let's just get the engine going. all like Charles Spurgeon, the great, one of the greatest preachers in history, the only reason he said his preaching was powerful because he had a boiler worm of intercessors who were praying that none word he spoke fell to the ground. Spurgeon said, "You take away my intercessors. My, my preaching is powerless. I need your prayers. I'm not just up here entertaining, OK. Whew. So my point has come early. This Spurgeon, the greatest preacher, the golden mouth, John Chrysostom, Spurgeon, is like, I have no power in preaching if people aren't praying for the words that are coming out of my mouth. So why don't just, we're not gathering to pray for the preacher, we're gathering for the presence to come. But in addition, we're praying that the word comes with precision, with anointing, with fire, with clarity. You get what we're doing? We're not just doing church here. We're not just hanging. We're gathering unto Jesus. We are in a war out there, not like war with weapons, with the carnal weapons, but spiritual weapons. And we need to be fitted together, trained, so that when we're deployed on mission this week, we don't get our tail handed to us. We stand in the grace of God. We bear a faithful witness to his rule and reign as gospel ambassadors and citizens of King Jesus. <sighs> I'm just saying, I'm, I'm saying, come, I want you to come to church. Come at any time. Don't here, Pastor Chad. I'm just saying, let's get early. Come and cry out come early. Let's lift up our praise, our petitions. You can do it. I know you can. Because when we gather and those, those scattered, we're, listen, we're scattered stones, living stones all week. There's a few opportunities if we're honest because of schedules, busyness or whatever. There's only a few, unless you like live in like a commune, which that's actually a future goal of mine. Just a bunch of believers who buy land and plant crops. And we just do the Jesus stuff. I'm telling you, it's the Moravians. It's in me. I'm reading like four books on the Moravians. They just lived together and they sent missionaries all over the world. I'm like, I want to do that the rest of my life. I'm an introvert though, so leave me alone for a minute if we live on the same parcel. Okay, <laughs> I need like three to one ratio. But when we gather, we're being built into a house it's hard to build a house when the piece, all the pieces aren't there. Can someone say, man, there we go. I'll leave that point alone. So come early. That's the point. Now, if no one shows up early next week, I'm going to say the same thing again and again and again and again. No, I won't. I won't do that because I love you. I want you to be happy and just love Jesus or whatever, but get here early. Let's cry out. Can I move on? Is that cool? It's okay to sometimes challenge the people you pastor. I'm always, I'm not, never afraid to preach the word. I am, as a leader, I've traditionally been afraid to call people to something. I am not afraid to call you to get here early and help me build a, an altar for Jesus' presence. Is that cool? It's time to grow up. I'm talking to myself. Listen, we're not going to circle the wagons again. We're crossing the Jordan into the land God's called us to possess. It's time to lead. It's time to step in. And all of you have been so faithful. I look at faithful people in the face all around this room. There's more. Let's step in for more. Come on. Who believes there's more? Okay. That was heavy. Thank you, Lord. It's all the praying this week. I'm telling you. I feel it on the inside. I feel the spirit. I'm not kidding. The spiritual fitness. That's why we pray, we press in. That When we give our lives to dwelling place, guess what? When there's a demand, there's something to draw out. How many have known what it is when there's nothing to draw out? You're just empty. Every hand raised, every eye. We want it, listen, I love Zinzendorf, the leader of the Moravian movement. He said, a congregation which is full of life has as its practice to worship and pray and the word and it's a fortress against the danger of lukewarmness. I have the quote. It's like my favorite. I want, if I get a tattoo, that's what I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> the, the church that's full of life prays and worships continually together, and it's a light fortress against the danger of lukewarmness. I love his quote because you and I don't think lukewarmness is a danger. We think it's just normal. We call it a season. That's so heavy. Oh, I'm just dry right now. I get there's dry seasons, but lukewarmness and dryness and difficulty of life are not the same thing. Lukewarmness, your fault. I let the fire, I'm telling you, it wasn't on his end. I shouldn't say your fault. My fault, our fault. Hey man, I love Zinzendorf. He's like, the reason we're psychos, and they were, they, just, they wrote 70,000 hymns. They prayed 100 years without stopping. He's like the only reason we're doing it is because by nature we will drift into lukewarmness. It's like like oh, I want to preach right here. We don't have to be lukewarm. You hear me? We don't have to be indifferent to Jesus. We don't have to like when the word is like the bible's boring. I'm not telling you youth camp. I'm not telling you just be hype. I'm saying there are things in the grace of God called the practices, the disciplines, the historic things that the church has done, the small little faithful church throughout all of church history, when the church wanes and there's liberalism and progressivism and we leave the mores of orthodoxy, that God has always been faithful to have a few little believers called the remnant who, you know what, they said, we're not gonna go the way everyone else goes. We're gonna choose to be potent because the presence of God as our primary concern and pursuit. This is the Moravians. He's like, the reason we're crazy, which it wasn't even crazy. It was like just, they were just doing Bible. The only reason we're doing it is because there's a perpetual threat called lukewarmness. And if our hearts are cold, the mission fails, the community is, is just, all we're left with is divisiveness and gossip. Come on, when if his presence isn't here, I'm gonna begin to see you after the flesh and not after your redemptive potential. You see that. So the presence of the Zinzendorf, the great count, the leader of this whole movement with others, he's like the reason we've adopted what we call the altar, the reason that was our whole life is because lukewarmness is a threat to the people of God. And he's, I love his language. This lifestyle we've all willfully chosen I love it. They wrote 40, I think it was 42 things that every person had to say. This is the life we're choosing to live. They were crazy. I love it. I love that. I'm, I'm like, I love that stuff. This is the life that we're pursuing together, he says. And he says the only reason we're doing it is because this is the life that serves as a fortress to fend off lukewarmness, coldness, complacency, How many now are ruined for the rest of your hopefully your spiritual life against the threat of lukewarmness? This is nothing, again, Pastor Chad is not saying there aren't seasons. There aren't seasons. There are seasons. But lukewarmness ain't a season. Amen? It means something else became more important. Amen? Something else stole your attention, and then it drew away your affection. And before you know it, which weighs up? That's how it happens. Who's ever been there? It conceives. It gives birth to sin. James gives us a vision, James chapter one. After it, it, it starts with a thought, a craving, a desire. Then it conceives. So it has an entity and then it's sin. When it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. You see that cycle? Did you know there's an opposite cycle called righteousness? God comes and he puts a promise in the spiritual womb of his people. Dwelling place, discipleship, community, discover, develop my gifts and graces, deployed for mission in the ministry of Jesus. There's a seed that came with fire, it came with clarity. And the spirit can breathe on that seed. And guess what? It can be very small, immature at first and for a while. But that seed begins to grow. And before you know it, we planted 10 churches. We've raised up 15 pastors. We've deployed business people to view their business as the means to the kingdom end, to bring glory and honor to Jesus and the everyday stuff of life. How many want that seed to take root on the inside? And just like the sin pattern, conception, sin, full growth, death, James 1. We want God to put his seed, 1 John 3.8, 1 Peter 123, the imperishable, incorruptible seed of his kingdom. We want that seed to grow so that there's fruit, and the fruit of which, Ezekiel 47, is for the healing of the nations. Are you tracking with me? That was a lot. <laughs> I'm just, there's a lot right now. This is the Sunday, Vision Sunday. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm just, I'm having, this is so powerful inside. We are people chosen out of the world for the sake of the world. Isn't that odd? We're chosen out of it for its sake. That's how it works, man. You got to come out before you go in. He calls them out of Egypt before they can go into the promised land. There's always a consecration, a separating, a sanctifying, a calling out and an ascending back in for the sake of that thing you were called out from. Because if you're, if you're being sent into the world in the same character, the same spirit, the same value system, the same fabric, the same life, the same DNA, you, you aren't what Jesus said, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Some of you all need to come out. Some of us, I need him to call me out. of the. I love this when, when Stephen, my dad preached on Stephen last week in the life of Moses. Moses said, I mean, Stephen said this powerfully in Acts 7, that even though they were delivered out of Egypt, Egypt in their hearts, they turned back. They never went back and lived in actual physical Egypt, but Egypt was still on the inside of their hearts. How many still got the world in their heart? But guess what? The remedy for the world is the cross of Jesus. Galatians 2.20, where I'm crucified with Christ. And then Galatians 6.14, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me through the cross of Jesus. Boom. Called out of for the sake of. This is what Peter said. "You're a chosen people called out and sent back in your royal priest who have access to God through Jesus. This is my language. I love this language. Who press in, everyone say press in, and then pour out. If this is what the altar is, we press into Jesus with worship, with the word and prayer, and then we pour out for Jesus in intercession and then in life of mission. Say it again, press in, pour out. Press in, pour out. When are we done? Never. Press in, pour out. How many have tried to pour out, but there was nothing there? So we're not just saying get becoming activists. We're saying there's a pattern here. Dwelling place, discipleship and community, discover and cultivate your gift, deploy for mission. You need all of those movements to have stuff on the inside to give when there's a demand for what's the hope of your calling. Yes, Lord. A holy nation. This is 1 Peter again, 2, 9. You and I are a city within a city. You are a city on a hill. What does that mean? It means we are, we're literally, Jesus calls us a city on a hill. So whatever city, town, nation, people, the church is, is like its own, the Greek word is polis. It's its own politic. It's its own, it's governed by a king who can't be voted out. Come on, somebody. And G, G, Paul said in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We are already members of that body. We are citizens of that kingdom. We are already citizens of that city. Did you know you and I are, are, are uh, what uh, Stanley Haueris calls, we are an outpost of the city that's to come. We're like a, uh, N.T. Wright has the best metaphor. Uh, the church is meant to be the two and a half minute preview clip of the full feature film that's coming. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about? The, 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 what is it called? The, uh, the trailer is the word I was looking for. People of God helping today. That's what he's saying. Uh, Our life, we're a city within a city. There's a city that's going to come out of the heavens called the New Jerusalem. We're gonna reign and rule with God. But like the trailer to what's coming is meant to be the life of the church. We're the city built on a hill, whose builder and architect, Hebrews 11, is God, yay. Already, we're, we're members of the only unshakable kingdom ever built on planet Earth for all eternity. How many, I, it's a fun study. I've done it several times just with Google. The different dynasties throughout all of human history. Guess what all of them have in common? They all rise and they all fall. That's your history lesson today. The only kingdom that will outlast them all is the kingdom that's built, Isaiah 9, 6-7, on the shoulders of King Jesus. You and I are already members of that everlasting kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 29. We, are, we serve God with reverence and awe because he reigns on a throne of an unshakable, everlasting kingdom. So that's what Paul Peter calls the church. You're a holy nation. Okay, we're done. This is, I think this is the last slide. You're God's. I love, I can't, the audacity of God to say this about you. You're my special possession. Independence is not all it's cut out to be. I'm not saying don't have agency and ability to choose. I'm saying I don't want to do anything independent of the one who says you're mine. Are you tracking with me? You're my special possession. We are the bride of Christ. Listen, Jesus' inheritance is you and your neighbor. You're his inheritance. You're his future bride. It's what the Moravian said. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Guess what the reward for his suffering is? The redeemed. You, When Jesus stands and he's giving us all of our crowns, guess what? When he sees on the other end of his just judgment, he's going to be like, now that I've given your crown, come here. You are my reward. I bought you. I rescued you from your slavery to sin and to Satan. I was the one who rescued you from the dominion of the darkness of the enemy. Jesus is going to look at us and with eyes full of fire and love, he's going to say, finally, we're together. I did all that I did for you so that you'd be mine. Ooh, come on. That's the gospel, man. I love that. Oh, I want that. Listen, I pray for us. I've been praying for our church like crazy. Lord, I don't even know what to do, so I just go up. I just go up. I just go up. I say, Lord, our church has to know and love Jesus or we have nothing to I mean, I'm just crying out, Lord, in secret, Lord, I pray that you would reveal Jesus. I know we all, this. we all know, I'm just saying there's more to know of Jesus. There's more. Oh, I want to do a whole Jesus school, just call it Jesus class, and I just want to talk about Jesus all day. I know it's funny, but if we don't know him, we're going to be settled for some false caricature version that's powerless, that has no authority, no anointing to deliver, to drive out demons, to heal the sick, to preach good news, for the fearful to become mighty in faith. It's only Jesus. I'm just like, Lord, let our church love Jesus. That's all I care about. I don't care. I want us to just, wouldn't you just cut us open? It's just, Jesus, Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for what I'm preaching. I just I don't know where to put it, and so I just go up. But I want you to know I'm crying out for you. For you, I want us to know and love a real person. I always say it because it helps how my brain works. There's a real man who has actual skin at the right hand of God right now. His hair is like wool. His his garment is like white. He has a golden sash. On his leg, he's got a tattoo that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And out of his mouth is a sharp sword that can sever and cut any lion tie that the enemy tries to get us entangled in. There's a real person. When he rose from the dead and when he was ascended, the disciples saw real feet go through the clouds. there's a real man who's going to come with actual substance. And his body is a prototype of all of what's coming for us in the resurrection of the righteous. I don't know what else to say. That's why we pray. We're not doing altars. It's not even principally about, it's about what we need we need a greater revelation of the ultimate reality, Colossians 2 17. An ultimate reality is found in a person, Jesus. Jesus. Paul just says it. He's like, All these knuckleheads, they're trying to get you bogged down by philosophy and all the traditions of men. This is Colossians 2, verses uh, 4 through 7, through 4 through 6. He's like, Don't let them take you captive. They're hollow, they're deceptive, they have no substance or weight, and they can't get close enough to the heart cry that you long for. And so Paul's like, let me just cut right to it. Christ is reality. Christ is the reality. The king at the center of the cosmos. Oh, Jesus. I just, that's all I want. All I want for our church is that it's not even, oh, we have the best, we have incredible worship, incredible kids, incredible, incredible, credible. Why would I, because there's a man who shows up every week. Every time we gather, our church is being trained to defer to each other, and then collectively we defer to the person in our midst. Jesus comes amidst the praises of his people. And when he comes, it's about what he wants, what he wills, what he desires, not me, not what I want, will, wish, or desire. It's about the king in our midst. Okay. And I love that Peter ends. You're the, the royal, chosen, holy people of God. You're my possession. And what is your vocation in the world? He just tells us point blank to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Why do you exist on the earth? To declare, say it with me, to declare the praises of Him who called me out of darkness into His wonderful light. To declare the praises of Him. I had a slide I deleted because it was redundant but the slide that I'm going to say that's no longer there in the slide deck is, we praise, 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 <laughs> we praise, we praise. We praise, we praise, we praise, we praise. Forever, we declare the praises of him. Listen, it wasn't your idea to get yourself out of darkness, it was someone else's idea. Come on, it was his idea. And by his grace, he brought an inner awareness by his spirit called the spirit of conviction and then the spirit of adoption that he rescued you from the darkness that you had no shot of getting out of, and He brought you into His light. And all those things that you used to be ashamed of, now you can stand upright in the grace of God, fully adopted, fully anointed, fully accepted. All of those things that were against you have been now nailed against Him, so that you can stand full and free and alive. This is our calling. Amen. What's next? Oh, what are we declaring? Look at what God has done through his rejected, crucified, resurrected, descended, reigning, ruling, and soon coming son. Blah. We're just declaring the praises of him. Well, what, what did him do? He was rejected. He was crucified, resurrected, descended, reigning, ruling, and he's coming soon. I'm telling you, that little slide has enough fuel and fodder to enable us to praise morning, noon, and night 24-7 until we see his face. Look at what God has done through Jesus. Jesus is worthy and worth it, no matter the cost or consequences. And I'm going to stop there. How many want it to be a dwelling place for God? <laughs> That's all. <laughs> oh, well... <laughs> yeah. Let's just stand and just for 30 seconds, just in quiet before the Lord. And just talk to the Holy Spirit, just whatever. There's been a lot this morning, but just one idea, a dwelling place for the presence of God. If there's a sin in your life, just confess it. If there's things blocking the flow of his grace, just say, Lord, rid my heart of it. If there's areas of compromise or complacency, if there's areas of duplicity and idolatry, Lord, come by your zeal and crush that idol. If there's areas of disappointment and discouragement say Lord breathe on my discouraged heart. I want to be a man or a woman that lives to give you a place to dwell. And I don't know what else to say but to say I just want to, I want Jesus. I want you Jesus. I want your presence, I want your word, I want your will. I want your mantle, I want your yoke, I want your ministry. I want your message. I want you, Jesus. It's you that we are after as the people of God. And you just say today, Chatty, I want Jesus. All four gospels says that he would baptize me in his Holy Spirit and fire, and he would cleanse, he would separate the chaff from the wheat, the worthless from the precious, and you would just say, I want Jesus to come, the Messiah, the King of kings, to baptize me with fire and all mixture in me. I want him to cleanse and to wash. If that's you, can you just lift your hand this morning? Lord, you see our hands this morning. I just cry out for a great cleansing over our church, over my own heart. Jesus promised to baptize all the prophets. They, all, the, all, all the gospel writers said when he comes, this is what he's gonna do. He's going to clear his threshing floor and he's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. So, Holy Spirit, come and baptize Radiant Central Coast, baptize the whole church on the coast with fresh wind and fresh fire that we sang about. I pray that we would be a church that loves and longs for more of Jesus. We would never settle. We would never say enough and no further. Lord, I pray you would put an insatiable desire on the inside of all of us. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen.